Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate vision into frontline operations. I am trying to stay very um, sober and straight. I've got Andrea, who <laughs> is a partner of mine. She works uh, with me at Urgio. And this is part of the series of, hey, who's who is behind the scenes at Urgio? So, Andrea, um, who are you? What do you do for a living? My name is Andrea. Spiegel. And I work, <laughs> I got confused for a second. I wasn't sure. Kevin said his middle name. Um, and I work at Urgio. I work in operations. I am, I, you know, I've been called a lot of things. My favorite so far have been uh, last week, I got called VP of weaving, which I thought was cool. <laughs> nice. I know. I've been called uh, Swiss Army Knife, which I think is really great. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. For those listeners, we're not big on titles at Urgio. <laughs> we kind of go, hey, like, who's doing this? Who's doing what? Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Andrew. So before we start, hey, we talk about this all the time. People are asking, where do I get all the information? So on the uh, episodes that you go back, you'll see there's a whole bunch of referrals. There is a tab called Books or Bibliography. Go on there. You'll see all the books that we've got and referral programs on there as well. So uh, take a take a good look. There's some good information on each of the episodes. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. You can just go on the tab and just kind of scroll through, and it'll give you an insight on what the episode is about. And if there's anything that you want in services, then you can reach out uh, through the links that we've got attached at the bottom of each episode. For that, thank you very much. Andrea, your title is super cool. What is it? My title for the podcast is How We Do Good Business, Not Nice Business. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Gives you an opportunity to be an asshole sometimes. No, 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 no. That's not true. No. Uh, I am excited to dive into that because I think, well, I mean, you and I share so many things in common in regards to operations. And then we can talk about uh, everything else. So, Andrea. For the benefit of the listener, can you please tell us your full story, where you're born, how'd you grow up, and kind of your pathway to where you are today? Sure. Um, I would say I've got a fairly um, not straight pathway. I don't know what to call it. <clears throat> I am from Calgary originally. I grew up there, moved from there to Los Angeles when I was in my early 20s, decided I wanted to be in the film business, had mm -hmm. the great fortune to work in the film business for a few years at a literary agency um, in Beverly Hills. I used to work right on the corner of Wilshire and Beverly, which Sweet. was a very cool place to work for a few years. As, um, a young, as a young person too. Yeah, in my mid 20s. So I was there at a point where I was really learning a lot about what my new job or what working was going to look like. And mm -hmm. I worked with some very, um, I mean, working in film is a, is a high intensity 
industry, right? Like working mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And I worked in a literary agency with uh, three really excellent literary agents and learned how to how to negotiate and how to never take a no as the final answer. Huh. For sure. Okay. That was a big one. Um, and then decided film was not the right place for me. Decided Los Angeles was really not the right place for me. Moved to Vancouver mm-hmm. um, and then did a full 180 and decided to go work in yoga. So I joined. <laughs> hey, well, hold on a second. No, don't say a full 80. When you talk about West Coast, West Coast yoga, when you yeah. think about L.A., Vancouver, you think about tree huggers, you think of granola people, you think of yoga. That's true. I'm very West Coast. I just didn't know that growing up in the prairies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you go yoga. You say, okay. So what was the trigger event? Like kind of what, what pushed you to say, I want to do yoga? Yeah, that's a good question. I So I kind of glossed over that for a second. I was sort of not interested in working in film anymore. But the truth of the matter is that I was like, I, I can work myself harder than I probably should. And oh. there are, I would say, you know, I, and I found I was working in an industry where they accepted that enthusiastically. And so I ended up burning myself out pretty hard mm. um, and got to the point where I was like, I don't like anything. I don't like the city I'm in. I don't like the job I have. Mm. I had a dog. I liked her. She was, I liked my dog. Um, and I was going to yoga once a week on the weekends I was like, that's the only thing I like. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to take a couple months off. I had the great fortune of being able to do that. Um, did a yoga teacher training and it just came at the right time. And um, it was it was kind of a great transition for me. I think before then I had been very much only living up in like achievement and, and the future and what I thought I was going to, you know, get out of life instead of, mm-hmm. you know, what it was actually like to go through the process of unfolding in my life, which has Mm -hmm. been, was, was pretty transformative for me actually. Yeah. And then I moved to Vancouver. Okay. So now we're in yoga. So now you're in Vancouver. So you're starting yoga. Are you doing yoga? Are you teaching yoga? What are you doing in yoga? Yeah. So I moved to Vancouver and I had actually intended to to go back into film when I got here and lots of contacts, um, was referred to a lot of people, got absolutely no film jobs. My yoga teacher in Los Angeles connected me with somebody up here mm-hmm. and met her. And she was opening uh, one of the what new Y yoga studios. It was in 2008 when Y yoga was starting. It's, um, okay. Y yoga is a group of yoga studios based in Vancouver and has, has been national and then kind of shut down some of their studios over COVID. But It was right when they were beginning. Mm -hmm. So I started teaching yoga. I think I was teaching yoga full time for about three or four months. And she approached me, the the woman that had connected me with the studio. And she said, you know, I think think there might be more that you can do. Would you be Mm -hmm. interested in running the studio? And so I applied to run the studio. I started running that studio. After a couple of years, I was running multiple studios, um, and then after a couple more years, I ended up being the regional operations manager for Yoga, and ended up running all of the BC operations. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now you're not just a yoga teacher. You're not just doing yoga. What's a, what's a yoga student? A, yo- yogi? a yoga student? 
No, yogi is a, a person who teaches, right? Yogi, yogi is somebody who does yoga. Yogi oh, or yogini. Yeah. Oh, well, mm-hmm. look at that. Education at the same time. <laughs> um, I bend like a rod. Uh, maybe I should do yoga. And you should do yoga. About, we've talked about this a good <laughs> times. Um, all right. So now you're at Y Yoga. You're in charge of all operations across the province. What's going on? Getting bored? Got pregnant. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You're getting busy. Yeah, you got got busy, but in in the other sense, in the other sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, so I, here's like, this is sort of the thing I always think about is like the through line of my career thus far is like, I tend to come into companies and it doesn't really matter what the industry is. I I tend to like creative industries. I think that's sort of where I've, I've found myself drawn to. But my, the thing I end up doing in those industries has always been this sort of, well, it's, it's what we do, is what we do at Urgeo. It's this creating a really elegant system for people to be able to be creative. So Ooh. that's what I found I did at, in the film industry. That's what I ended up finding. I was really passionate about in, at Yoga was that I was able to, you know, create structure and framework that felt that it was simpler for people to just do their jobs and enjoy what they do. I feel like we spend so much, I mean, we spend so much time working, most of us, Mm. and I want to have fun doing it. And to have fun doing it, it has to be like kind of low friction, you know? So that's what I found has been the thing that gets me excited. And when I got, um, when I kind of was, had been in the regional operations role for a few years, I was, mm-hmm. had an awesome, awesome manager. Um, a lot was going on that was really good, mm-hmm. but there were limits to, you know, where, where I could go. It's a smallish company. So I went on mat leave. And then during mat leave, I was connected with um, my next job. I saw it come up and it was in lighting design. So totally different industry again. Um, but like, it was like this this culmination of all the stuff that I had been learning up to that point. And it was me and the guy that had started this company. Um, <clears throat> and I basically helped him create the structure of an entire organization. It's not a huge company, but it was building it you from- can, you, can, you can say his name because he's episode <laughs> three or yeah, four. Yeah, he's on one of the episodes. <laughs> yeah, so it's Matthew McCormick Studio and he's um, one of the, honestly, one of the, him and his wife. So Matthew and Amanda are the owners of this company and I've, like, I feel grateful every day that I got to work with them because they are two of the most, um, two of the kindest and strongest leaders I've, I've had the good fortune to work with. And I really believe that, that the work that they're doing and the business that we have been able to build together has been like, I, I don't know if I would have had that opportunity in a lot of other places. They are very complimentary. Those two. They yeah, they are. <laughs> it's, it, it's so fun to see them work together and uh, not to say one is better than the other. It's just one is gifted in one area and the other one is gifted in another area. And they, they make such a, a a beautiful couple and parents, but also at work they're they're very they're very loving, touching, and they just they just so work so well together. And that they're a great example of a husband wife combo running a business. Uh, 
not always easy for Amanda with having, you know, Matt being so creative, but that's every CEO's kind of problem day in, day out, married or not. So, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter if they're married. That's just what you come up against. But yeah, no, I agree. And I feel like that you said it right. Like they're very complimentary. Um, and, and, and they, but they also have a vision. I, I think they've got a very clear vision so that they're both in alignment with, which is very motivating. Yeah, and his 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 products are just absolutely gorgeous as well. Mm, I'm right. sitting at my kitchen or at my dining room table, and I have one of his lights sitting oh. over me right now. It's one of my favorites. Um. All right. So you're at McCormick Studios. What's next? Well, so I was working at McCormick Studio, got pregnant again, went on mat leave again. <laughs> Damn, with these kids get in the way of everything, right? Yeah. You know, you know, when you, you, it's funny. You, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot actually lately is like business is not really essentially designed for, for women in, in the sense that like, if you want to be successful and both as an individual, if you want to be successful as an individual and you want to have children, have being able to navigate that while building a, a career is challenging. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that as well, though, are companies that want to support female leaders. There's not really like a good and like comprehensive structure in place for women to be able to go on mat leave and for the structure to continue to function effectively. Like we haven't really figured that out yet. I don't think, I don't think we've really figured out how to like make space for women to go on mat leave and for the business to be really successful while strong, you know, leaders are in place. And that is, is to be honest, something that I experienced while I was on mat leave because it's such a small company that, you know, losing and, and there was more than one of us on mat leave at a time. Mm. So there were two leaders, but navigating that, that the vacuum that's left by somebody kind of come, going out and coming back in. I just, I think we're still working that out and how to do that really effectively. Um, I want yeah. to ask a question because of that, because, you know, we, we chose, Tracy and I chose, chose a different path. So Tracy uh-huh. put her career aside per, uh, willingly. She's like, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, this is what I want. And we've got the opportunity to do that. How do you, how do you feel? So the, the thought of, as you were talking, the thought that came to mind was continue. So the continuum, right? So it's just a hard stop for the woman who's given birth and say, okay, 12 months later or 18 months later, you're going to come back. It's just kind of, it seems hard stop, hard start. And I was wondering how would you feel or how does it feel if it was like a, a, a one hour a week, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, right after, but so you're, you're not in the job, but you're still in the job. You're still getting in, 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 you know, in, I guess it wouldn't work for people who are, you know, hands-on manufacturing. Yeah. I'm thinking more kind of management leadership that would be more applicable, but for somebody who, yeah, no, sorry. I just kind of, yeah, it's not, it's not an easy problem. It's to, not an easy problem. Yeah. Because there yeah. are times where it's like really functional. Like you just need somebody in that seat doing that thing. Correct. And then there are times where the gap that's left is more strategic or yeah, conceptual yeah, yeah, in nature. Yeah. And, and again, it's not like, it's not an easy thing to I, like fill that gap for a period mm. of time with, with a different leader, a different perspective. 
And then how do you transition back into that when you come, come back? It's, it's, there's a lot of complexity to it. And, you know, I think that we're, I feel like we're very lucky that we are in Canada where we're, we 12, 12 to 18 months is the standard for taking time off. I mean, I know, you know, in, in the States, like, I think it's 12 weeks is six. I think, I think six six is like, is like for, but I think you're guaranteed 12 weeks now without losing your job. You don't get paid. You don't get any EI or anything while you're off. Yeah. And I can't imagine leaving my kids after 12 weeks. Oh my goodness. They're tiny, itsy bitsy little things. I was not, I was not a functional professional at 12 weeks postpartum. (laughs) We want to be clear about that. When in doubt, when it comes time to, I feel when it, time to look at um, kind of health and wellness programs. I always look to the Scandinavian countries. Like what are the Swedes doing? What are Norwegians mm. doing? Usually they tend to be at the forefront of understanding certain ways of operating that are more conducive to day-to-day life and, and good life, I should say. All right. Yeah. Okay. So now you're at you're at uh, McCormick Studios. You've had a second baby. What's happening next? So I came back. Um, there had been a couple things that had happened, like COVID, etc. Um, and it was a it it was like there was a lot. There was a lot to kind of reestablish, and you know the team had done a beyond exceptional job of of keeping the organization running while, mm-hmm. while Amanda and I were both off. And oh, it was Amanda um, that was off too. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We didn't plan that. It was not, it was not good timing, but what could you do? Oh. Um, yeah. And, um, and I came back and we, there were, a, there were a few functional things. Like we'd changed to a new, mm-hmm. much more complex software. Uh, we'd seen a lot of transition with, Team. We had some challenges within our team, and I really needed some support. And so I asked Matt for some support, and he went to talk to his leadership team, and he came back with this advice to engage this really great mentor. His name is Martin Hunter from the company called Urgio. And so I, we did, and we engaged, we talked, um, we had a weekly meeting and I honestly, I I think back on this a lot because, you know, I had never had a mentor, a professional mentor for a very specific time in my career that needed very specific, um, transformation. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I would say, I I think I'm a very, like, I'm a very smart and very capable and very like uh, resourceful person. So I will figure things out. But I was at a point where I was like, I don't have the tools. I don't have the resources. So um, what I got out of the time that we start, was we started working together was all of that. I had somebody who was like, okay, I've seen this. I, I know where you're at. I've been, I've been through this particular fire. Here are the tools and here are the steps that we're going to take. And what I really appreciated about the time. This is not like a sales pitch for Martin Hunter. I just want to be clear. I just, this is what was my experience was that I found that I could take those tools and I could implement them. And I saw change that, that to me was like very major, not only for me personally as a, as a professional, but also I think it really did, you know, get us through a pretty um, intense and challenging time as an organization 
Um, and then I, so, so we kind of made our way through it. Things were going really well. And I was like, I want to learn more about this, this operational excellence. <laughs> so yeah. So, I mean, we, we figured it out to be totally frank. It was not a smooth transformation. Um, but I do also think that we, this is where I think this is part of, to come back to the title of our podcast today, Martin, you know, um, doing the thing that is right is not always doing the thing that feels nice. And doing, doing this was right, even though it was not like, even though transition, you know, just because I, I really care about that company. I really care about, mm -hmm. you know, this Matthew McCormick studio. I care about Matt and Amanda and that team very, very much. Um, and so making the decision to try something new was, was hard for all of us, you know, mm -hmm. um, but we did it, I think in a way that to the best of our ability was respectful of the individual was compassionate, but had also good boundaries. That to me is one of the most like critical mm -hmm. core foundational pieces when it comes to doing good and not being worried about being nice. You know, mm -hmm. I am, I am a nice person. Like I'm not, oh, yeah, I, I've had to learn, <laughs> like I've had to learn, but I've had to learn like not to worry about being nice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I am yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. What I have to care about do it being is, is doing good. That's, that's actually more important. That creates like good foundation, good structure. You know, people know that, that they can trust you because they're, you're not going to just say something to them because they, you think, they think you want them to hear that, you know, they believe that, that you're saying it because they, you believe it is true and you believe it has value. It's a different approach. The, uh, absolutely. The, the, I, I tend to refer back to Master and Commander as a movie about leadership. And when uh, the main mast breaks and there's a gentleman in the water and it's dragging the boat through a storm and they come to realize that if they don't cut the line, the entire ship is going to go down. So they're like, okay, so it's, it's one soul or 179 souls. So they cut the line. So what you, and again, that's kind of extreme views of, you know, doing what's right versus what's nice. And when you go, okay, well, somebody's going to die to save, you know, 179 other lives is, is to Andrea's point that as operators, you have to be bold in decisions for the long-term benefit of businesses. And sometimes, you know, being nice may be nice and it might be a band-aid, but it's not the right thing to do for the business long-term. Right, because the goal of a business is to be prosperous, meaning that they they generate profit in a sustainable way that creates prosperity. We apply that principle to safety all the time when you talk about manufacturing and construction and all those. And say, well, why are you harping so much on safety? Well, safety helps the bottom line, because if we have a sustainable approach where somebody can come in day in day out, work and generate revenue. That's the key. If they get hurt, they're no longer generating revenue. So in a sustainable way, you say, okay, sometimes we have to pause work to create more work. And so same thing, it's, it's kind of like nice versus, versus what did you say? Is it nice, nice versus or, good. Nice versus good, thank you. So the good thing to do is to think about the operation, but then it, it becomes very, well, you, do you really care about the individual if you... 
you know, if what you do, it's it's that prosperous prosperity model that I'm talking about that kind of fits it. So um, tell me, Andrea, what from what from your the film industry helps create who you are today? What did you learn from the film industry that goes, I applied this still today? Mm. Hmm. A couple things come to mind, sort of like adjacent to the film industry, but the experience of moving down to the States to work in the film industry. So mm-hmm. it's not a straight shot, you know, going from Canada down to the States. It's actually not that easy to get a, a, a work visa. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's obviously a lot of competition. A lot of people want to move down to the States. And especially when I was moving down in 2005, it was, you know, it wasn't, a, it's, it's not easy to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I learned, so I had sort of like a short-term visa mm-hmm. that I could work on. And I applied for a more complex, longer-term visa. And the first time I went about applying for it, I got denied. And, I, you know, I was young. And to me, like, the American government said no. So I was like, I guess I have to go home. And I yeah. went, that was, that was like, that was, you know, at the age I was and the experience level I was, I was like, I guess I'm done now. And I went in and talked to one of my bosses. And I remember him looking at me and he was just like, No. You know, and he just went into this, into this, okay, they said no this time. How do we get them to say yes? And that experience of seeing somebody like this sort of this person saying this, this structure, this organization that you thought was the absolute truth in the matter, mm-hmm. the, the thing that like, if they say yes, yes. And if they say no, no, and that's the way it is black and white, mm-hmm. he's like, nope, that's negotiable. And just seeing somebody like conceive of that was very eye-opening to me. It was it was like a very dramatic shift for me, and I realized that like all of these organizations, these systems, these um, you know these rules that were taught, like it's okay to question them. Sometimes they're they're right, and 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 mm-hmm. we and there's a value to it. But just because the the bigger organization, the bigger system, the bigger bureaucracy or whatever it is has said this, we are, it is that first of all, the organization was built by a bunch of people, right? It, so it, true. It was, who don't always know what they're doing. You know, we, we're always like trying our best. The, like the biggest lesson I can tell you in general is like the people behind the closed doors are also sometimes just guessing and are sometimes wrong. Sometimes. And sometimes faking it. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're just trying our best. We have like, you know, we're all kind of scientists, you know, yeah, we're, yeah. we're all testing hypotheses and sometimes we're, we're, our hypotheses are right. And sometimes they're not right. Um, and then you learn and then you try something else and realizing that like that was true at this macro scale was profound for me because it helped me realize that like I can I can think critically and I can question things that seem like they are a hundred percent defined and I think it's given me um a really confident a really high level of confidence in my curiosity I feel very very confident in being curious so now I know where it comes from (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's where it comes from. It comes from the American government. Thank you, American government. I learned that. Dot GOV. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Put that, put that one in the show notes. But it's like, 
but and and then what happened was we put it to we put together a plan and he was like did you think of this and here you know let's connect with this person and and it was like oh i there's all the there's all these other resources that i hadn't even considered because i hadn't even considered what i would do if i had like if i had to be a bit more creative mm-hmm. um and it, and it worked out great i ended up down there for a few years and i had an amazing opportunity to work with some of them like uh, most incredible artists and creative thinkers down in in Hollywood and meet some really cool people and go to really cool f- movie premieres and you know and I was young so it was like really fun <laughs> didn't right. didn't have to go to home and go to bed same question for why yoga um biggest learning yeah why yoga a lot there's a lot um Pick one. Pick one. Oh, man okay the biggest thing I will say that I learned is that there, it is very important to understand what the exchange is when you are working with an organization. And the reason I say that is because Yoga is a values-driven organization. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's very much about lifestyle and very much about working with good people and working in a healthy environment. And and those things have a high value. They do. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, working in a job, you do like, you do need to make a certain amount of money and mm-hmm. that exchange has to feel right to you. And it has to feel like it is equivalent for what your, what your output is. Mm-hmm. And something I, I think is really important is I think the organization of Yoga has always tried the people, the people that lead it have always tried to be very explicit and very transparent about how, what that exchange looks like, because working Mm -hmm. in health and wellness is, is not, it's not a million dollar career, you know? Um, but getting into it for the lifestyle and getting into it for, for the health and wellness, Mm -hmm. you also have to consider how much you're getting paid and how that balances and how that really feels right for you in your life. Because if you don't feel like that exchange is right, it turns into a sense of obligation and it, and it kind of flips the value on its yeah. head. And I think it becomes unhealthy and it's, it's not, it, there's, there's not, I think, I think the people that lead Yoga really do try their best to really be open about that, but it's like a fun, shiny place to work. And I think when you work in fun, shiny places, you have, like, you have to be on that a lot because yeah. people are going, people are going to like go into it thinking that it'll be okay they'll get enough out of the non-monetary value mm-hmm. and then and then really at the end of the day they, they do just need to pay their bill and they have to pay for their rent they have to pay their rent one thing that andrea said that i want to that i want to clarify with with the audience is that what you think your worth is and fair market value are a place that meet just uh-huh. because you think you're worth two hundred thousand dollars doesn't mean that somebody's going to pay you two hundred thousand dollars so I want people to stop thinking that, you know, get off your high horse and say, well, I'm worth this. Yeah. Okay, great. What's the fair market value? You're going to have to come down or level out. And I think that there's too many people that think they go, well, I don't want to take this job. And then all of a sudden they go down this path and say, well, well nobody wants to hire me. Well, okay. Look at the, and, and we hire at Urgio, we always hire for attitude, skill, knowledge, experience, energy, and time, depending on where you're at. And so 
if you got the right attitude and right skill, you understand that you might have to adjust your pay scale to be able to demonstrate the experience that you have. There's a trust component in all of that that needs to be defined. So I want to come back to, to that, what Andrea said, because it's really important. What are you worth? Not just, and, and you have to think of it very much fiscally, like what's the fair market value for a position in that role, in that area that's worth that much money. Now, that is only one component, just a single component out of the total compensation package that Andrew is mentioning, right? What are the benefits of working there? Can I get free yoga classes? If I love yoga and I can do yoga all day and I can learn more about yoga and I can talk to, to, to people about yoga and I can live and breathe and live day in, day out. I mean, I wish I could make a living off of rugby. <laughs> do you know how much rugby coaches get make money? It's probably not a million dollar job. It's probably a negative because there's so many volunteer coaches out there. So there's very few professional coaches and professional coaches don't make that much. Yeah. Um, anyways, all to say. Okay, Andrea, why did you pick that title of the show? Why did you pick that one? So there's a couple reasons. I think the most important reason is that I, is that I in my experience, have found that there are there is a there is a big confusion in business, and I'm, I'm kind of generalizing and I'm stereotyping, and it comes a lot from my experience of working. I worked at Yoga for a long time, and that that mm-hmm. organization is is primarily made up of women, okay. um, and I think that there is an opportunity for women, but also people who are trying to learn how to do business in a way that feels positive Mm -hmm. to understand that there is a difference between doing something that has strong integrity and ethic versus something that feels good in the moment, right? Mm. It's, it's, it's really the, to me, the big pieces that, that encompasses are boundaries and, um, honesty or truth. Yeah. Right. Or trust. I mean, you know, because you, you build trust by being honest, you build trust by having boundaries that people can believe are consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we, when we sublimate either of those things, when we stop telling the truth or we don't hold boundaries that, ha- that are, that have integrity, um, then you start to lose the ethic behind what you're trying to do. Give us an example. Is there a concrete example that the audience can attach without naming names, without with the amounts of clients that we have? Is there a, a place where you feel that that is? Give an example of how that kind of went downhill. Hmm. I can give it. Well, I, I, the, the thing that comes to mind really is performance management. It's a okay. very a sort of general, but it, that's, that's where I, my okay. mind goes to the most um, because when you're when you're managing people, the priority as a new manager is often to do a good job and be a good manager, mm-hmm. which is very much about me as the manager, and because and kind of inverts the value of performance management. Correct. The value of performance management comes from caring about the person that is in front of you and helping them to develop skill sets and see gaps in their current knowledge base and ensure that they can round that out in whatever direction that they have identified is kind of the path that they want to move forward. 
to do that, you have to be honest. You don't have to be mean, but you have to be honest, right? It's, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. The um, a lot of a lot of leaders forget that performance management is a relationship, mm-hmm. and they think very they very think very task oriented. And the best way that I that I can demonstrate it is with a stagecoach. That's the only thing that comes to mind. Is you have let's say six to eight high performing horses in front of you that will not move until gently nudged with one of the leads. And once they're going, they're going. Mm -hmm. So now you've got the responsibility of taking care of the people in the stagecoach. You have to look for the bad guys, the desperados. You have to make sure that the mail doesn't fall off the back of the stagecoach. Right. You got to make sure, well, am I going too fast? Am I going too slow? Is it a comfortable ride? But I want to go fast enough so that the bad guys don't catch us, the banditos. You know, there's so many things as a leader and performance management is really about ensuring that you've got good direction. So the horses need to know where they're going. You're facilitating by making sure that they got the right harness. They've got the all that bringing them up. So I think that people tend to forget. They go, well. How are you doing? What are you doing? You know, what's your task? How can I help? Instead of being very specific in saying, okay, well, to do a good job, this is the direction you need. What tools do you need to have? And here's these open lines of communication to be able to communicate between one another. And the feedback is is critical in that path. Too many leaders, I feel, don't know how to give feedback. They say, well, I want to give you some good feedback. And then, you okay, great. If I want to give you some bad feedback, well, Andrea's going to step back, cross her arms, and go and say, well, what do you know, Martin, that I don't? Mm-hmm. And where if you change the, linguistic, the linguistics and the language, and you go, hey, Andrea, I'd like to give you some success feedback. Well, here's the direction that I want you to get, and you're doing a great job achieving, so there's your successful context. What did you do? What's the action and the result? Hey, listen, Andrea, I'd like to offer some guidance. Instead of saying, hey, listen, you did a shit job, can I offer some guidance? Right? Just in the, in the language, it builds trust in offering something that is good and not nothing that is nice. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love, I mean, you've changed my mindset in regards to <laughs> how it connects, but absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's two, I have two thoughts about that. So one thing I love, so Kevin, um, who I know is, has say who he is. You can say Kevin, who he is. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Lang. <laughs> My boss at Urgio, I don't know, the operations guru, but he always talked, he, the word he uses that I really love is redirecting. I love Ooh. that because it's just like, he, he knows what direction we're going in. And if I go off, I have a 10, I can, I can absolutely go off in like a direction. I'll be like really excited about doing something. And he'll be like, I'm just going to redirect you. And he kind of gets me refocused on the direction, which I really love. He does um, that with me all day long. <laughs> no, he does. <laughs> I feel like you need redirection maybe more regularly. Yeah, more more than more than the average boo-boo bear, that's for sure. <laughs> the other thing that I think about, and this is like this concept I talk about a lot, I talk about it with clients, I talk about it with friends, I talk about it in my relationship, is um, it comes from the Adam Grant book, Think Again, which I know I've talked, we, you and I have talked about before, um, but the difference between task conflict and relationship conflict. Mm-hmm. Performance management is like, there 
you know, and conflict is a funny word because people think it means that there's going to be a clash, but yeah, really yeah, it just yeah, means yeah, that yeah. there's like, I, I always think about it as tension because I think mm -hmm. tension can be super valuable, right? Tension mm -hmm. creates diamonds and pressure, you know, the pressure, those things create, you know, create something else. I, I also love the concept of like emergent properties when you have two different, um, uh, what do you call it? Chemicals, they react mm -hmm. and then you end up with something you'd never had before, but there is a conflict that goes on in there with people we tend to either misrepresent or misassign what the type of conflict is and relationship conflict is when we think it's like the problem is the other person mm -hmm. versus task conflict which is there is a problem and together we're going to solve it it just mm -hmm. kind of turns it's like it's almost like you know the difference between like sitting at a table staring at each other and like facing down changing versus going, the angle yeah versus yeah, yeah. going versus going for a walk and and like solving the problem as you're as you're pointing in the same direction which is a good pro tip for performance management is to go for a walk so that you look like you're facing in the same direction um but yeah i think that that's that's a big piece of it it's like the person is not the problem we are all complex and weird in our own special way that's that's okay what we need to solve is the problem it, it's it's uh and this is something that I've attached myself to. So first of all, yes, absolutely. I think that too many people say, well, here's my view, and then here's your view. And I want to use the word, I want to break down the word conflict. So con, like condiment, like context, it's, it's to add. And flick is friction. So to add friction. And mm -hmm. the, the conflict, the word conflict is so we're adding a different perspective. And that creates friction. The term... That and, and what Andrea is saying is, okay, so if you step back objectively on the process, what is failing in that task? Why is that task not getting achieved? And it could be, you know, 99% of the time, it'll be a human being that is doing that task because we're not completely fully automated and there's no robots. So if that person is doing the task, well, maybe that person did not get good direction. Maybe they didn't get the right tools. Maybe uh -huh. they're not, maybe they're shy of talking or saying something and they know they've been doing it wrong, but just afraid of talking. So when you remove the individual and you look at the process and you go, oh shit. Okay. Well, Susie Q was not given the right tools to be able to do that. So maybe we should give her the right tools or maybe Jimmy doesn't know how to turn the wrench because he's never been showed how to turn the wrench. Mm -hmm. And when you remove the person, then it's not Jimmy's fault is really whose fault is it? It's the supervisors who, and again, we're not putting blame on the supervisors, but the, it's your job to be strategic and plan for all these things. And if you did not, then, you know, the, the finger points back at you pretty darn quick and you go, Oh shit. Uh, that, that's kind of my fault. I didn't think about that. Okay, well, it's not your fault. You just, just didn't, didn't think about it. Mm -hmm. So again, it's a process failure. So then you're going, okay, well, maybe we should train everybody to use a Phillips screwdriver instead of a square head to turn the wrench. Okay, great. So now you've got two tasks that have been achieved by focusing on the task conflict and not the, how do we say, individual conflict? Relationship conflict. Relation thank yeah. you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you say that about talk about process. Cause that's actually why I think I, you know, like my sweet spot in, in working and the type of work I do is very much the sort of confluence between process and people. That's where mm -hmm. I like to live. And it's because 
I, and this is going to, I am going to just own this. I am a nerd for process. I, yes, you are. I like spreadsheets. <laughs> I like flow maps. I like all of that nerd stuff and I'm not ashamed of it because what it does is it takes the process. It takes the thing out of the person's head. You know, one of the, like the arts of process design is it takes the, the thing we do out of the person's head, makes it into something that can be replicated and then helps us identify the gaps that make it so that we can make it easier for people to achieve their jobs. That's really what process is. And, and to do that and, and the effect of doing that is that people now can go on vacation because they're not the only person that has this in their head. Mm -hmm. They can enjoy their work because they know that they're either achieving the tasks that they have to do to hit the thing. So there's like a sense of accomplishment. Um, there's progress that can be made because once you've identified and built out this process, there's like this innovation. And I like, I like the idea of like reframing some of the professional words that we use, like, you know, um, innovation and things like that and, and starting to make them into like, what's the word you, that you put on LinkedIn the other day? What was it? What was it? Oh, opportunities. <laughs> yeah. And when an obstacle and an opportunity meet, <laughs> it's an opportunity. <laughs> That is absolutely beautiful. So what is, it that, what is it that you do at Nergio? For all the people who are listening, what is it that you do? So, well, I, I kind of do, I have two kind of different functions in the, in the organization. So one is I work as a specialist within projects. So I'll go in and I will help define process flow. I will help uh, build out process maps. I will also help build out a lot of the um, team sort of structure and the tools to ensure kind of healthy team and performance management. And then on top of that, I also work as a project lead. So I will oversee projects on a larger scale and I will help make sure that the specialists that are going in and doing different things, because sometimes you need operational support. Sometimes you need leadership and accountability support. Sometimes you need financial support. So I'll kind of help and make sure that those, all of those pieces are working together really well and that the deliverables to the larger project are being, are being achieved. What is the output that you feel the most proud of? What do CEOs that you work with, what are they the most happy about the work that you do? How do you save their lives? It's hmm. a good question. Um, I think I help them. I think I help them feel more calm, honestly. I think that that's the output, like that's the result that, you get when things have been taken out of your head and put somewhere else that so that other people can have like that has been translated and other people can understand you know i think um actually kevin said this the other day you know there there are a lot of entrepreneur entrepreneurs out there, there are a lot of people that have ideas right mm -hmm. but the the like the magic is in the execution of those ideas <laughs> yeah. and i'm like i'm like a translator so i'm a translator of vision into execution very good at reading minds. Yes, you and, are. <laughs> and, and I'm very good at putting it down in a way that when it's reflected back to you, you're like, yes, that's what I wanted. And we can always kind of like adjust as needed. And other people can see it and say, oh, that that's what we're doing. And then they can kind of move in that direction. Right. That's what I think is the big kind of like, this is my, what's Kevin called? Superpower. 
the one thing that uh, you know, a lot of people we talk about process. So I want to. There's a couple of things that Ange, I want to add to Andrea's kind of list of things that she does well, and she does well for others. Um, her reading minds is absolutely. You know, when Andrea joined Urgio, um, she was able to challenge the status quo. And I think that that is the beauty of Kaizen that I've learned in Japan. Just because you've done it 100 years and we say trust the process, right? you should never trust the process. You should acknowledge the process. And what Andrea does well is she challenges the status quo. So no matter how good you think you are or how shitty you are, it's all about, okay, does this work? Does this not work? Why does it work? Why does it not work? And if you think of uh, Andrea as a plumber, Right. What she does is she looks at the entire hydraulic system and she says, OK, where's the flow? Where, what should be the water pressure, or water flow at certain areas? And if it's not matching these, well, first of all, she challenges the, the qualifiers or the metrics. Why should it be at this pressure and why should it be, you know, at this flow? So she challenges everything and then kind of. And I, I believe that this is where she brings such creativity. And creativity is not just about putting paint on the wall or, or making, you know, vases out of clay. It's how do I think differently? What other mm -hmm. approaches do I have? What is out there that she got when she was looking for that extra or when, when, the, when .gov said, no, you're not coming to the U.S.? Uh, she's like, okay, shit, that, that consistent persistence innovative way of thinking is not just about you know painting beautiful flowers so i think that that's there's an underestimation of operational excellence out there people believe oh the visionary is going to save us he doesn't i i have been put in the visionary state and i'm i think i'm a pretty high level operator so imagine Andrea, who is dealing with a visionary operator, and she has to capture everything out of my brain, and she's done it very, very well. So that's kind of the benefit, and that's how she saves. I believe that there's another component that is, tell us about how when, you're, when you've got good direction and you're eliminating and you're automated, what happens with revenue and profitability? They go up. <laughs> is that a trick question they go up well <laughs> up they go yeah they go up because you i mean and i think one of the things it, i you you always talk about you know delegate eliminate automate to liberate yeah. um and i think that to me again because my like happy place is between the people and the process my goal is always to make sure that there is the revenue is going up so that the right people are doing the right work and getting paid the right amount, right? Mm. I think that's a really big piece to it. I think when we talk about efficiency, it can be, like there can there can sometimes be this fear of like is efficiency and automation going to turn into terminations? And that's like not the point. That yes. that's just not the point. Like there may be there may be like a consequence that that points to that, but that's not the point of creating really beautifully elegant systems. The, the point of elegant systems is so that people can work in them well, not to remove the people from them. Did you hear what Andrea said when she said beautiful and elegant? 
She didn't talk about lean management. She didn't talk <laughs> about cost. She didn't talk about, he said, beautiful and elegant. And what does beautiful and elegant mean to me is free flowing, something that flows well. Oh. When you look at a meal, when you listen to a song, when you drive through the prairies and you see the clouds going and the wheat going, there's this beauty and elegance in movement. And I think that that, if you look at a river, you know, don't get me wrong, a lake, still lake is, is pretty. But when you look at a beautiful river, the flow just is enchanting. You just want to, even no matter how vicious the water looks, you just kind of go, oh, that's so cool. It's mesmerizing, puts you to bed. You know, the sound is just, just everything is kind of flowing well. And I think that what Andrea brings back too is that the, the, uh, the ability, there's three things that move in business, information, product or service or money. And what Andrea does well is she kind of unlatches everything and is able to create, you know, an expansion where the hose used to be an inch, you know, in diameter. She's able through what she does to increase the flow to three inches. So therefore you're allowed to process a lot more widgets or a lot more information and or a lot money through those pipes. Just to kind of simplify, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but there's a lot of frigging complexity be, <laughs> behind what, and spreadsheets. Um, she can get to a man's heart through spreadsheets. So I've, <laughs> I've seen it before. And even my spreadsheets are elegant. Uh, they are. <laughs> they are. What's the, um, what's the biggest thank you that you get from CEOs when you've been working with an organization? I, I know a few that you've been working with. What's, what's the biggest thank you you get? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I'm going to have to ask some of the CEOs. Um, I think the big thing that they say that they get the most excited about is I think they, I think they get, I think they are excited to see somebody else who can see what they are trying to accomplish and help them build the kind of the road forward. And I think that what they get out of that is in some ways affirmation that, mm. that like what they are. I'm not crazy. I'm not the yeah, only one. Yeah. What they're envisioning yeah. is possible because I think when it's in your head and you kind of know that it's possible, but you haven't quite figured out how you're going to do it, it. There is some of that associated with that is a sense of like, okay, I can, I can kind of like take my hands off the wheel a little bit because I trust the, I trust the other drivers. Mm -hmm. I trust that they know what direction they need to go in. Um, I trust that I can check in at the right places to validate that. Cause that's a big piece of good process is like um, measurement and audits. Mm -hmm. And so they can start to like take, um, take, some of the hats off and start mm -hmm. to focus on what they're passionate about. Because what happens with a lot of entrepreneurs and visionaries and CEOs is like they start a business to do a thing and then they end up doing the business and not the thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you can take the business and create structure to it, that can then be handed to other people, can be trained to other people, can be built in a way that they don't have to have their fingers in everything they can redirect their energy to the thing that they actually started doing the business for. 
Can you say that again? It's not so they they don't do the thing; they do the business. Can you say that again? Because it's really cool. <laughs> probably not, <laughs> but oh. I'll try. Um, they do it. So what they what happens is that a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they have a brilliant idea or they're very very good at something, and so they start a business to do the thing. But when they get successful, what ends up happening is they end up having to do the business and not the thing. Ah, so well said, beautifully said. Thank you. What's next for Andrew? What are you working on? What is, what creative project and or future activity that is really exciting for you in business? Mm. Oh, like so many, so many. <laughs> let me give you my, pick let one. me give pick you, one. no, I'm, no, I just, I, I decline. I'm going to take, I'm going to pick my top three. Um, (laughs) first of all, I am refining my personal vision. Um, I think something that's very important for me because I am such a doer is to step back and take some time and to think about why I'm doing things. And that is a a very high priority for me right now. And I'm like very excited about it because I've also, I also feeling, I feel like I am at a point in my career where the path forward has become more clear and it's more clear to me what I love and what gives me energy and what I would, if I was, you know, my grandfather worked until he was 92, which I was joking was only four years less than Queen Elizabeth worked for. Um, but, um, he, like, what would I do if I, if I was doing it forever, not because it was making me money, but because it's just something I love to do. So that's number one. Uh, number two is I am learning how to transfer my passion for doing to other people so I can start to lead other people more effectively. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I know this is this is a thing. I love getting into the details and I and I don't mind that. I think that's always going to be a part of of what I what I bring to the table. Absolutely. But I also think that I can be an advocate for other people more effectively if I if I start kind of pulling myself out of that a little bit more. I think that's really important. Um, and that's the other piece is that I'm really I'm really excited to uh, and we talk about that you know we talk about this as a team a lot because being in a position of leadership um, in business is something that I feel very proud of and mm-hmm. The reason I feel proud of it is because I, I feel like I can have a positive influence in, in leadership, in rooms where, where there are leaders and advocate for people that have not been in the, that room yet. And that's mm-hmm. something I'm very excited about doing. So that kind of speaks a little bit to the vision of what I'm, what I'm trying to, trying to achieve, but those are, those are the things, just a couple things. I hope you guys caught that. I was like, Hey, Andrea. I get, I'm, giving, I'm giving you one. No, no, no. I got nope. three. I got three. I got three. Andrea is just, uh, Andrea and I absolutely love working together because we get along and we challenge each other. I think that's the beauty of working together, of working in a boutique firm is it is a round table. We don't, we don't pull rank. Yes. Am I the boss? Do I create vision? I have a role in that uh, without Andrea. I'm not capable of achieving what I want to achieve. And without me, Andrea is not capable of achieving what she's envisioning and looking for and, and given the room to be able to do so. Um, 
Andrew, what's the book, the one piece of reference that is on your nightstand? What do you refer back and that you've had for a very long time that you go, I fall back to this all the time? It could be a movie, it could be a book, it could be... Mm. That's a good question. I read a lot, so I'm not sure what the one thing is, one book or reference I would say I go back to. I would say that when I was introduced to Patrick Lencioni and his books, mm-hmm. that was the first time I read business books where I was like, oh, this, this method really makes sense to mm-hmm. me. His way of writing is super, super approachable. So for anybody who's like, wants to learn more about kind of business concepts, he's so accessible and so easy, such an easy read and um, really stands the test of time, I think. That's probably like, that's not a, a specific book. A couple of the books, the, the one, uh, the two that I'm thinking of specifically are The Five Dysfunctions of a Team <laughs> and <laughs> and Getting Naked. Those two are are like foundational in my opinion. You're so true. You're so true. What's the, what's the one piece of advice that you are going to leave with the audience when you think of the title uh, saying, you know, don't do what is nice, do what is good. All the CEOs out there that are listening and they are just paying attention to what you're saying. What's the one piece of advice that you're going to give them? Now, I'm not going to give you the chance for three. You just no, I don't want one. one. Just got go. one. You got one already? I, I mean, I'm ready to. Yeah, that, right. one was, that was an easy one because um, this is something that rolls through my head on, on a regular basis. Um, the less time you spend caring about what other people think, the more time you have to spend caring about other people. I'm going to take that at heart. You can take it. I'm gonna Write that on a pillow. You can get that embroidered on, on a my pillow. whiteboard. I'll put it on my <laughs> whiteboard. Oh, that's good. Oh man. Oh man. That's good. Andrea. Thank you so very much. You're on LinkedIn, right? I am under What's Andrea's email address. Andrea at urgio.com. That said, Urgio, not Urgio. For those people, we say geography, <laughs> not geography. All right, urgeo.com to urge, to move forward, to incite it feelings and encourage action. Um, thank you so very much, Andrea. Is this, this was just a pleasure to talk at a different level. Yeah, thanks, Martin. I really enjoyed it. Fabulous. Well, with that being said... It is Friday afternoon when we are recording this, so I will bid you a good day to the audience. Thanks again, Andrew, for being on the show. Thank you, Martin. Please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell so that you know when uh, the next episode comes out. Enjoy the rest of your day. And for those, if you're listening to this on a Friday, enjoy the weekend. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.